All right. Ready to hear God's word? Amen. And uh, I know we have a lot to get in today, but God's word's important, and it's important for us to, to, to dig into it and to continue our, our series. I'm going to ask that my son Joshua would pray a blessing over his dad and over this message as we give it today. Josh, do you mind leading us in prayer? Amen. Amen. Can you tell he can preach too? Huh? Can you tell that? Huh? Amen. We're in the midst of a series entitled God, the Bible, and Money. And uh, we have been discovering some important principles about money and how spiritual money actually is. So today we're on the third week of the series. And today we're wrapping up what we started last week when we started talking about giving generously. So last week we talked about giving generously as it relates to the type of giving called tithing. And then this week we're going to go beyond that. So that's what the series that we're in the midst of. And we have one more week next week. Did you know that generosity is actually central to the Christian faith? At the very core of who we are and at the core of the good news is what? The idea of generous giving. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? Everybody say it out loud. He gave. Do you see what I'm saying? Giving is at the heart of God. In fact, did you know that the Father God is the most generous giver of all? He is the giver of life. He gave us his son, Jesus, and we honor him today as that generous, giving father and God. So if generosity is central to our Christian faith, and if God is the most generous of all, that should affect the way that we live. Amen? So let me share with you this verse of Scripture. It's special to me in a number of ways. It's a great verse for us to use today. But uh, I used to, years and years ago, have a friend, and we would exchange letters. This is back in pre pre-email days and uh, actual handwritten notes, which are rare to find these days. Anyway, handwritten note, and we'd write letters to one another, and we'd always, we just started this habit of always including this verse of Scripture at the bottom. So we'd write Proverbs 11.25 at the bottom of every note that we sent to one another. So it means a lot to me, and I think you'll understand why. Verse 24 and 25, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. How many of you know there's still stingy people in the world today? Did you know that? Some are more stingy than others. But anyway, it's not a very good thing to do. It says, if you're stingy, you'll end up actually losing. But if you're free in your giving, then you will actually increase. I love this part. The generous will prosper. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now, I believe this scripture has a lot to do with life, not just money, has to do with all kinds of things. And we'll look at the principle of multiplication and the law of reciprocity next Sunday. But I think you can see here clearly that there's a principle that as we are generous in the way that we live, we are also refreshed by the Lord. And like I said, it has to do with a lot of things, whether it's refreshing people with an encouraging word, whether it's praying for one another, whether it's just uh, whether it's being there for someone when they have a particular need, whether it's supporting someone in time of crisis, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. You know that there, as we talked about last week, there are really three levels of giving. If you look at giving, step back and get a 30,000 foot view, there are three different levels of giving that we need to discover. The first and most basic foundational level of giving is the tithe. And we discovered that the tithe is a tenth of our income. We also discovered that it's holy to the Lord and it belongs to God. 
we're not under the law anymore, but we discovered that tithing is a principle of Christian discipleship and that it is simply a beginning point in our giving walk with God. And so when we give our tithes, we're literally returning to God what he says is already his. And by the way, if you missed last week, I would encourage you, go on our website and uh, on our media page, you can get uh, the podcast from that. So first level are tithes. Then the next level, distinct from tithe, is an offering. So sometimes people use the term offering as kind of a large general term that means any kind of giving. But strictly speaking, an offering is a certain designated category of giving. I believe it's the second level of giving. So once we've given our tithes, we have the opportunity to give a free will offering over and above our tithe. And that's where we really tap into the ability to be generous. And then there's a third category, which we'll have a little bit of time for next week, and that has to do with extravagant giving. You're going to be thrilled to find some scriptural examples of extravagance when it comes to giving out of, out of our abundance, and we'll look at those a little bit next week. So three levels of giving. Number one, tithes. Number two, offerings. And number three, extravagant giving. So what we're going to focus on today is level number two, the offerings. And what we want to talk about is this idea of giving generously. Now I'm going to begin with giving you four foundational principles. These are some a little bit of review of what we covered in our first week, just to make sure that everybody understands the underpinning when we, we're going to talk about how we give offerings practically. But I want you to have these foundational principles underneath and make sure that they're supporting our actions. And the first one is very clear, and that is that giving is a hard issue. Giving is a heart issue. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 has been a cornerstone scripture for us throughout this series, which says what? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, the things that you invest your time, energy, and money in are the things you're going to care the most about. They're the things that are going to matter the most to you. And even if you haven't in the past invested your time, money, or energy into something, begin doing that and you'll begin to notice that your heart gets connected to what you are already investing in. There's a relationship that's inseparable, that's, that's interlocked between the heart and giving. Randy Alcorn, a well-known author, writes in one of his books about uh, financial management. He says, my heart always goes where I put God's money. It's true. You can't give money without your heart following suit. So wherever you put God's money, that in other words, that's thinking of ourselves as a steward, right? If I'm a steward of God owns everything, and if I'm a steward of that, then wherever God's money goes, my heart always follows that as well. Now, giving, by the way, is not only an indication of where a heart is, but it's also a means of moving our heart towards God even in our ongoing Christian growth. We're in an ever, never-ending journey where God is always expanding our heart so that we can hold the blessings of a closer, more intimate walk with Him. So the first principle, foundational principle, is giving is a heart issue. Number two, very important, heaven, not earth, is my home. Heaven, not earth, is my home. Now some of you say, well, wait a minute, I, 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 thought I live right down the road here. I thought my home is right here. Yes, but we need to understand where our real citizenship lies, right? 
Our citizenship, according to Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is where? In heaven. Think about this. This is one of those truths that if I ask you about it, you go, oh yeah, I know that, but have we really thought about it? Our citizenship is in heaven, and as we eagerly await a Savior from there, in other words, Jesus is coming back for us, amen? So we're going to live eternally where we have that ultimate citizenship. As we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. As a born-again believer, my Superior prioritized citizenship is not the Commonwealth of Virginia as much as I have a level of duty to to be a good citizen of the Commonwealth of Virginia. I have a greater responsibility and duty to be a citizen of heaven. Amen? I'm a citizen of heaven. As they used to say, the old timers say, I'm just passing through. I'm just passing through. I have another home, but I'm just passing through. There really is some truth to the matter of of that, isn't there? Our home, we need to understand and kind of tweak the way we think about things and start thinking more like heavenly citizens and not so much as just temporal earthly citizens. Yes, we're not in denial about our earthly lives, and we're surely not in denial that we have need of temporal, natural, material things, but we always need to keep in mind that we have our passports from heaven. Amen? That we have those passports, and they've been issued by heaven. The moment that you come to Jesus Christ, you've been given citizenship in heaven. Listen, listen life is short. And the older you get, let me just tell you the secret. The older you get, the shorter you realize it is. And you realize, say, you know, it just felt like yesterday when this happened or that happened or when we had our kids or when we had our first grandchild or when we bought our first home. It just seems like yesterday. You tell young people that today and they go, oh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. But you really don't understand it until you get perspective. And then as you gain wisdom and age and experience, then it's like you realize the saying is true. Life is short. But the good news is eternity is forever. You know, we sang this morning, forever. God is faithful. We sang about his foreverness, his eternal uh, characteristics and attributes. I want you to know that heaven is not my home. Uh, I mean that earth is not my home. Heaven is my home. Life is short. Eternity is long. So if eternity is my primary citizenship, it causes me to ask the question, why would I invest so much time, energy, and resources in what is so temporal? I just think it's a good stewardship question to ask yourself. Why would I want to put such priority on something that is just going to be gone? like that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with us being blessed with material things. I think God wants to bless us. But I think we also have to keep a balanced perspective, shouldn't we? So no matter uh, what that car is that you're dreaming about or, or whatever that Christmas gift is that your kid thinks they can't live without, can we just all remember that heaven is our home and that it really should be about eternity? Amen? And so a life of generosity about making sure that we're, that we're connected to things that have, make an eternal difference, that's what really should motivate us. Let's look at the third principle. That is that giving brings joy. Giving brings joy. This is a great scripture, and it's one that we know, and our familiarity many times blinds us to the real richness of it. So let's look at it again. Acts 20, verse 35. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
Can you say that last phrase with me? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, do we really believe that? Hmm? I think sometimes we say that, but we think, yeah, I don't know, but I sure like the receiving part of it. The truth of the matter is there is a dimension of generosity that God wants to usher us into where our life is about gener generous giving. That's what really brings the kind of fulfillment and joy to us that matters far more than just receive, being on the receiving ends of things. Our life becomes more joyful, more fulfilled, more purposeful as we live in God's calling. And the joy that God wants us to have is experienced in the act of giving more than it does even by just being on the receiving end of God's blessings. Now, this is one of those funny truths. It's more blessed to give than to receive, but you can't outgive God. So we'll learn next week, as you can't outgive God and the principle of reciprocity kicks in, the more you give, guess what? The more you receive. And then the more you give, then the more you receive. And do you see how this thing kind of grows on you exponentially? And so you get to a point, you say, God is just, God is fueling my ability to enjoy this idea of giving generously. Now, I've, I've been blessed to be able to uh, learn and know about giving and the blessings of giving since I was a child. I remember when I was a child, my parents taught me part of the, the faith tradition that, that I came from, raised in a good Baptist home. And part of our, part of our habit, our annual Christmas habit was we, had to, we, we made a principle, a, a kind of a vow as a family. We always gave more to missions, to world missions, than we did in gifts to the family. So we, every year we say, all right, what's the amount of money that, that the budget allows to spend on gifts to the family? And mom and dad would come up with that number, and we'd vow that time all the kids would participate, we'd make sure that we gave more money to world missions than we did to one another. That was just, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just telling you that was a practice that we had that I grew up with. I think it's a pretty good way to raise your kids, isn't it? So giving was, was something I learned that was a part of just good Christian living. And, uh, and I think that's what generosity ought to be. When I'm thinking about giving, bringing joy, I can't, I can't help but think of a story. of. I was in my office once in a, in a church that I was pastoring in Austin, Texas, many, many years ago. And uh, there was a Romanian pastor that I had become acquainted with on some of my travels. And he had made a trip to the United States. And uh, so he was sitting in my office, and he was just sharing with me more of his story. And during that time... If you were a Christian leader in Romania, you, there was a lot of persecution going on. And so he was sharing some of the rough experiences he had been through. And he said um, he and his wife had gotten married. And uh, he began to tell me about, about you know, their marriage and stuff. And, and just in passing, he just had to say, you know, we're, you know, we're, you know we just hadn't had much financially. He said, we got married. He said, I didn't even have the money to buy a ring. And I was like, but we're so happy. And he just kind of came out, kind of slipped out that he hadn't given her a ring. What he didn't know is that four weeks before, somebody in the offering plate, now this doesn't happen every week, all right? Someone in the offering plate had dropped in a diamond ring. Just a ring. I remember the ushers bringing and saying, uh, what do we do with this? I said, Give it to me. That's what you do. I'm going to put it away. I don't know what we're going to do with it, but I'm going to put it away. We'll see. So I took that diamond ring, and I remember slipping. I just put it in the middle drawer of my desk, put that ring in there, and closed the drawer. Right? Really had, hadn't thought about it much. He's sitting here telling me this story about how that he and his wife had gotten married, 
And he didn't have the money to give her a ring. And the Holy Spirit said, that's what the ring is for. So now, that, now, you know, that's what that ring is for. And I reached into my drawer, picked up that ring, and I said, do you think this would fit your wife's finger? He began to weep and cry. Later told me, he said, you, would, he said, you wouldn't be surprised. He said, it fit her perfectly. And he said, she is so happy. And I can't tell you the joy that that brought me just to be, I didn't, it wasn't my ring. I was just happened to be the person, oh, well, that's cool. So I just transferred it right on over to him and it blessed them so much. It's more blessed to give than to receive. There is a joy in generous giving that God wants all of us to experience more of. The fourth principle is this, very basic. The best investment is an investment in God's kingdom. Now, there are all different kinds of investments we make in our retirement accounts, in our uh, 403B accounts, and our IRAs, and whatever else it may be that you may be contributing to for retirement. And we have some very uh, wise uh, financial investment counselors, even as a member of this church. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, and they would each probably 110% uh, support this. The best investment you can make over the long, over the long term is in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God. It is the most reliable blessing. I'm not just talking about in tangibly, tangible ways, but it is the best investment you can make. Look at what the scripture says. Now, we've been focusing on the last verse of this scripture in verse 21, but let me just read the rest of it for you. Lay up for yourselves treasures, where? In heaven. Now, how is that possible? Where do we live? On earth. Remember, we just got through saying our citizenship is where? In heaven, right? So here we are on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And Jesus says that we should do what? We should lay up for ourselves. Notice this. Lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And the benefit is what? The same stuff that affects investments at this level on a worldly earthly, temporal level, don't affect that kind of investment. So here, moth, rust, destroys it. Thieves can break in, steal it. You say, well, I just, I don't invest my money. I hide it under my bed. Well, a thief can come in and steal your bed, right? But if we invest in the kingdom of God, literally when we give to God, we are investing in something that is eternal and in the kingdom of God. Did you know literally when you give generously, you are increasing your heavenly bank account? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to say you're going to need money when you get to heaven. <laughs> I'm saying you're not, going to, you're, going to, you're not going to need that money when you get to heaven. The reason, the purpose of that heavenly bank account is so you can make withdrawals while you're here on earth. You ever thought of that? You're laying up investments in heaven. You're increasing your heavenly bank account as you generously give in obedience to God. You are increasing your heavenly bank account. And up there, guess what? Inflation doesn't affect it. Depression, temporary economic rises and falls will not affect your kingdom giving and investments here on earth it will now i'm in no way please don't misunderstand me and walk away and say, bobby said i should not invest money in the stock market i'm not saying anything of the sort i'm just telling you the best possible investment is in something that's kingdom related can you say amen to that and so we need to understand that those are the kinds of investments we should all strive for we should encourage one another 
to live with an eternal perspective and place a priority on seeking first the kingdom of God. By the way, I know some of you are wondering, so, well, how, do I, how do I make a withdrawal from that account? There are ways that you can buy faith. You can literally make a withdrawal from your accounts that you've built up in heaven so that you can be used as a blessing to other people. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, uh, as we move ahead. All right, so we have the four principles. Now let's move forward, and I want to talk to you about both principle and practice of generosity. So this is kind of getting more practical. I'm going to share with you here one principle of being a blessing, and then I'm going to talk to you about two different ways that you can be a blessing. All right? So the first one is we need to make certain that we understand that we are blessed so that we can bless others. We call that blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. Now, we need to go all the way back in the book of Genesis. All right, so we're going way back into Genesis chapter 12, and we listen to the words that the Lord spoke to Abram. All right, Abraham was the father of the Jews. And so we go back and we look at part of this covenant agreement that God made with Abram and listen to what he said. He said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. God was saying to Abram, I want to to pour out blessings on you. Now, we know that Israel was an outgrowth of this covenant promise to Abram, right? So Abraham was being promised by God. God said, I want to bless you so much. I mean, this sounds like a lot of blessing, isn't it? I want to make your name great. I'm going to make, give you a reputation. I'm going to give you favor. I'm going to increase you, increase, 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 increase. Why? Not just to make Abraham rich, which, by the way, he was very wealthy. But the idea wasn't just to increase his earthly wealth. The idea was he wanted to use Abram as a channel for his bottom line blessings that would extend through Abram to all the earth. So he wanted to bless him for what purpose? So he might be a blessing. See, the problem, some people have gotten confused about the idea of of God blessing us financially, which he does want to do. But the reason for it is to not make us fat and sassy. He's wanting to bless us so that we are an instrument of that same blessing to others. We literally become this conduit. As obedient, faithful followers of God, we can literally become a part of God's financial blessing system where he wants to spread the wealth and bless many people on the earth, bless those that are in need, and use us to bless others. This was a promise to Israel, and I believe it's also a a promise to us who are in Christ, according to Galatians chapter 3. So this is an incredible point. There's another great scripture in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18. Let me read it to you. It says, remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. One translation says, the power to obtain wealth. So where does the ability come from to get wealth? Ultimately, it comes from God. Now, I know people who are atheists who have money. But here we're told that God will actually give his people the power to get wealth. And it goes on to say the reason why. God gives us the power to get wealth in order. 
listen to this, in order to fulfill the covenant that he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. In other words, God is saying, look, I made a covenant with Abraham. That covenant was I was going to bless him so he could be blessed. And I'm going to bless any of my people that are willing to follow me obediently. I want to bless them so that they can be a blessing. And by them being a blessing to others, through us being a conduit of blessing to others, I end up doing what? I end up having assisting God in the fulfillment of his covenant agreement. God gave us the covenant in Genesis chapter 12. So by me getting, accumulating wealth and being obedient to God, God can use me actually as an instrument to implement and execute his covenant here on the earth. We're blessed to have be a blessing. Again, not blessed just for selfish purposes, but blessed to be a blessing. Back in 2006, I was privileged to be a part of a, a, an idea that the Lord had dropped into my heart I was moved by the needs of a nation in Central Africa called the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And uh, I had a few connections there, and so the Lord put it on my heart that I should help to organize and sponsor a conference for developing leaders. And so we made a commitment to some key leaders who had connections there with Congolese people. For three years, we would host and lead, bring a team in, brought a team in with people from U.S., from Europe, and from Australia. We all came in together, and we had marketplace business leaders, we had educational leaders, we had a government leader track, and we had a ministry leader track. So over three years, we invested a large sum of money, and every year, we not only uh, raise the raise the money to put on the conference, but we'd feed because the people are very poor. Most of them are very poor there. We would feed these leaders as they would come in. I, I just I can't forget the the look on the faces of young pastors who had walked for four days, walking just with the clothes on their back to get to a conference so that they could learn how to be a better pastor. And then. We served them meals. And I, I just, I could, you know, I couldn't help, help myself walking through this large facility that we had where we were feeding, making all the food for them and walking through. So for three days, we fed them every meal, took care of them, gave them the best training, a, a, an amazing team that went to train them. And we did that for, for th three years in a row. That investment was it was simply the ability to be a blessing for them. So what we were doing is leveraging the blessing of these people here who had a part in that, and we leveraged it in order to bless the city of Kinshasa and the city of Lumbumbashi and the nation of the Dem Democratic Republic of the Congo. Two or three weeks when I was in South Africa, uh, I was in a, at a church there in Cape Town, and one of the pastors, who was one of the host pastors of that event there in Lumbumbashi, happened to be at the event that I was at. And he said, you would know, still to this day, now it was back in 2006, he said, people all over our nation are still talking about what the equipping was that they learned, what they grasped during those times of training. That's what it means to be blessed, to be a blessing to others. Amen? Now, let's get even more practical as we move from principle to practice. We are not only blessed to be a blessing, but how do we, how do we use that blessing? How do we give offerings, and where do we direct them? We are blessed 
to give to the poor. Now, this is not an uncommon thought, but it's one that I find that Christians sometimes struggle with because in the Western society, we can allow ourselves to be very insulated and isolated from needs. Can someone say amen? The truth of the matter is, I know, I know, by the way, we have many cases of poverty in the U.S. We have cases of abject poverty, extreme poverty in the U.S. But the issue is our culture allows us to isolate ourselves to where you can actually allow yourself to be so insulated, isolated, that you don't, you don't, you're not faced with it. You don't see it like you do in some parts of the world or in some parts of the country. If you live close to it and you see it regularly, you can't forget it. Did you know that we have a biblical responsibility to be giving to the poor? Can I examine with you real quick? I know it's not some foreign concept, but I just want to make sure you have the biblical foundation for understanding this. A couple of scriptures that may help you. First of all, in James, which, uh, which is, a, is a great scripture, James chapter 1, verse 27, it says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means what? Caring for orphans and widows in their distress or in their need. There's not a more biblically-based ministry than that. Patty, that's why you can, you can just rest assured God's blessing is going to be on what you do. We have others in this church. Uh, I'm thinking of several who are involved in this kind of ministry. Listen, the, Lord, the Lord's promise is right here. He says that this is pure and genuine, undefiled religion goes on Deuteronomy 15. Listen to this, listen to this o- Old Testament scripture. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord has given you, don't be hard-hearted. Don't be tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed. See, what is that picture of? That's, pic- that's generosity, isn't it? See, the open hand, that's a generous person. Be open-handed and freely lend to them whatever they need. Then Proverbs 19, verse 17 gives us an incredible promise, and it says this. If you give to the poor, you are actually lending to the Lord. Can you stop with me? Say what now? Lending to the Lord. Now listen, do you know something? God doesn't need to borrow anything from you. That's not, you're missing the principle if you think that he needs your money. When we give to the poor, this is the only, only form of actual giving that specifically it says this, but I think the principle is that of laying up treasures for ourselves that we are read in Matthew 6. But it's the only place that we see this. It says, if you give to the poor, you are actually lending to the Lord. Now, I, I have found some people in my life that I've lent money to and never saw it again. Anybody here? But I promise you, God always pays back. The idea is, if you give to the poor, the promise of a return blessing on you is unquestionable. And you are literally, once again, you are increasing your bank account in heaven. And that's an incredible thing, that we can lay up treasures in heaven, and then we can take withdrawals from heaven to help others when we have the opportunity to in our lives. It's a great idea of being blessed. Why? So that we can give to the poor. Number three, we are also blessed so that we can take care of the needs of the body of Christ. Number of interesting scriptures about this. 
First of all, you remember the prototypical church we have in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2? The scripture tells us that in that church, it said all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone as they had need. Folks, that is not socialism. That is not communism. That is New Testament Christianity. That is not a compulsive requirement. That is a from-the-heart people saying, I want to make sure that the needs of people in my local body of believers are met and satisfied. And they did it. Apparently, it was organic, it was spirit-prompted, and it just worked. There's another scripture that supports it in Acts chapter 4. Listen to this one, verse verse 32. All the believers were of one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. Do you hear that stewardship principle we've already talked about? The issue of ownership, remember? We said that everything it belongs to him. It says, none of them claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. Now, we live in a culture in which holding on tightly is, is, is highly prized. That's my shovel. I ain't going to let no, you're not going to borrow my shovel. Well, usually something else like that, my lawnmower or whatever it may be. But we're, we're like our personal rights we hold on to. But here we find an example where it says, no one even claimed that what they had. They didn't say, oh, that's mine. They looked at it as what? They're a steward. Now, there had to be a faithful steward of it. I, I have at times known the Lord to be, be very careful about saying, don't loan something to that person. Simply because I wouldn't be a faithful steward if I did. And y'all may not have been there, but I, I've, I've had those situations. <laughs> So it goes on to say what? In verse 33, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Can you imagine such a, such a group? This was about four, five, six thousand people at this time. There were no needs among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands and houses sold them and brought the money from the sales. They put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to those who had need. That's an amazing picture, isn't it, of a functional early church. We're uh, actually told, my time's up, so I'm going to wrap up, but Tertullian, who was an early church father, uh, wrote about this. Uh, They were living in a Roman society, of course, in a Roman world. And he wrote in one of his works, he said that the Romans would always exclaim, look at the church, see how they love one another. In other words, the way that they lived and not claiming it's my stuff, but they were, had a sharing, generous heart, even impressed the Romans. And it takes a lot to impress the Romans. The scripture goes on to tell us all kinds of ways that we are to meet the needs of the body of Christ. We're to help those who are in need, 1 Timothy 6.18. We're to support those that we receive instruction in the word from, Galatians 6.6. 6. In Galatians 6.10, it says, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Did you hear that? Especially. And I think this, I, I have to tell you, I was convicted as I had been preparing this message for a few weeks. I thought, you know, I never noticed the especially. It's as if God is saying, put a priority as you're meeting the needs of people. Make sure that the needs of the body are met. And that's not at the, at the exclusion of other ways that we give to the poor, meet needs around us. But I, I found that that was an interesting principle, and it, and it really spoke to my heart. So I'm going to close with this. I'm going to read you a verse of Scripture, and uh, we're going to close by uh, 
pointing out these five different ways that we're to give from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So I want you just to, don't, don't look the scripture up because I want you to listen to it. I'm going to read it to you and I'm going to glean five of these guidelines, speak them to you very, very quickly and we'll close. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is verses 6 through 11. Paul says, remember this. Now, even from the beginning, what does that tell you? Do you hear the emphasis? Remember this. Whoever sows a little will also reap a little. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. We'll talk about that principle next Sunday. Verse 7. Each of you should give whatever you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, nor under compulsion. For God loves a what? A cheerful giver. And God is able, I love verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that, why does God want to bless us abundantly? Not so you have 16 cars. So that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Wow. There it is. So what, is, what can we glean from those verses? Number one, we need to give in faith. We'll study this more next week. Luke 6, 38, we're going to learn about the law of sowing and reaping. Number two, we need to give generously. Number three, we should give not as an obligation or under pressure. But number four, we should give how? With joy. I tell people all the time, listen, if you're going to give out of a sense of obligation, just keep it. I'm serious. Just keep it. Because God's not broke. And this church is not broke. And if you're going to give with that kind of attitude, just go ahead and keep it. I believe we need to give joyfully with a sense of real hearts that say, I'm not giving because I have to. I give because I'm able to, because I want to. And I don't know about you, I want to give more. I know people who have set goals of being 20 and 30 and 40% tithers. It's kind of a misnomer, but what they mean is, third, you know, double tithe. In other words, more than just a minimum giver. But they have, that, I think that's admirable. The idea is they've tapped into a level of joy in their generosity that I think would do a lot of us a lot of good. And finally, we should simply give our offerings in a faithful manner as we see again mentioned in this scripture. So here's some reasons, the way that we need to give. So I want you to uh, allow me to close today if you'll just stand to your feet and with this question for each of us. The main idea today is what? We're blessed to be a blessing. God wants to bless us generously. My question, closing, is simply this. How many of you would like to have more, a greater generous spirit and greater blessings so that you can be a greater blessing? How many, would you, you like that? I'm with you. Would you just pray with me right now as the prayer teams come up? Father God, I'm thankful for the privilege of being a giver, not just of money, of our lives to serve you, to extend and expand the kingdom of God. What an honor, what a privilege it is to do that. Lord, I thank you that you call us to be faithful stewards. You own it, but you've given us the responsibility to manage it. Help us learn 
the generosity and the joy of giving. Father, I pray for your increased blessings upon each and every one of our lives. We give you thanks and praise today in Jesus' name. We're getting ready to close. I have prayer teams that are positioned here at the front of the auditorium. They're here because if you have a need in your life, you want prayer regarding something. There's great power when we agree in prayer. They're here ready to pray and agree with you in Jesus' name, whether it's a need for physical healing, whether you have an issue going on in your life, whether you need a restored relationship, whether you need a job, whether whatever it is going on in your life, you just need someone to agree in prayer. That's why they're here. So would you take advantage of that here as we're dismissed and enjoy a blessed Thanksgiving week. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.